It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith, Faith, Faith. politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a moment on sports, part one. The Louisiana State University letterman's jacket of basketball Hall of Famer Pistol Pete Maravich was sold at an auction last weekend for $116,924. Maravich owns two Division I career records, which includes 3,667 points and 44.2 points per game scoring average and three single-season scoring average records of 43.8, 44.2, and 44.5 points per game for a sophomore, junior, and senior, respectively. The Basketball Hall of Famer was a two-time National College Player of the Year before he tragically passed away at the age of 40 on January 5, 1988, due to heart failure. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father, the blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Fear not, said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior of the pure virgin bride To free all those who trust in Him from Satan's power and might Oh, tidings of comfort and joy Oh, tidings of comfort and joy And when they came And now here's your host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And yes, I'm back and I'm in studio. You know, uh, I called up a dear friend of mine for the last, I don't know, almost three, four years. Uh, we've talked about Christmas movies on the Saturday be, before Christmas. And uh, since Christmas falls on Saturday this year, uh, it'll be this week. And um, I always I always have the great joy of asking a very dear friend of mine, um, Ed Hoffman, to join in. And this year, he, he said yes. And I have to tell you, I called him up and I asked him, I said, let's talk about one of your favorite 
Christmas movies, and I was so terrified he was going to say Die Hard. I, I just was. I was so terrified he was going to say, let's talk about Die Hard. Folks, that is not a Christmas movie. You know, yes, it took place during at Christmas time, uh, but it's not a Christmas movie, all right? Let's get it straight right now. It's not. And uh, he said, well, I have a couple, and he brought up one, and the one he brought up first, I said, let's talk about that, because there's so many delightful scenes and I have to tell you, I am a big f fan of well-done black and white movies where they actually use the black and mm. white and the grays, shades of grays, as a palette to just draw out this beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, and, and this movie is one of them where the black and white is done. But before we get into that movie, I was talking to Ed. Now, I'm not one of those pastors that believes in total abstinence. We can get into the Greek and everything else, just say that I think I'm on biblical good ground. But I was talking to uh, to Ed Hoffman and uh, about uh, scotch <laughs> and single malts. And by the way, uh, if it's not a single malt, it's not scotch. I don't care what anyone else says. Um, it's just the case. And I was talking about different milder scotches like the McKellen or something like that. And you have you, you you have a uh, now you and I both are agreement. You don't drink it like you see in the seventies, where you pour in like a three finger tumbler and drink it. It's better than an aperitif, where you just experience the flavor. Everybody drank scotch in the seventies, and I think it led to more divorces than anything you could imagine. It was all part of the whole, mm -hmm. you know, love American style right. theme. And, and then and then Americans finally discovered single malt. First of all, hello everybody, Rick. I am absolutely delighted to be back, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to your wonderful audience and to you. I'm happy to be back. You know, what you do on your show, Rick, and I think what the other hosts do too, what I certainly attempt to do on Speaking of Art is to provide an ambiance. You know, you talked about black and white and as opposed to color. Mm -hmm. the, the art term for something in black and white when you have a minimalist palette is grisaille, G-R-I-S-A-I-L-L-E. Um, and many times it is reserved for, say, religious paintings from the 18th century, 19th century. We have a very nice mm -hmm. example at the U of M Museum of Art, by the way. And I, just going along an art historical you know, thread to what you just said, um, yes, a black and white holiday film has a power, I think, that, that others don't. You know, and people say the golden age of Hollywood. I, I think there are many golden ages. But if we're talking about the golden age of Hollywood from the 30s through the 40s, mm -hmm. particularly, um, there was a, a, a note that was established by these films, whether American or English. And the English, after World War II, their budgets were almost nothing. Take a look at what they produced right after World War II with the budgets that they had, with Great Expectations, for instance, mm -hmm. with Gene, Gene Simmons, uh, that version, and Sir John Mills. You cannot believe the, the, the emotion that is in there, that when you saw it as a kid, that was Dickens to you. Yeah. It took a lot to supersede that later on. Same thing with the 1951 Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. People still, it's almost like a battle, like, like you know, Ohio State and Michigan, you know, which one's better? All the, well, we know which one is better. But finally, 84 came along, mm -hmm. and, and what version came out, which challenged everything? Um, that's with uh, Scott. 
Absolutely. Scott. Right. And, and it's funny because when I was talking to you on the phone last night about your favorite one, and, and I says, well, we did Christmas Carol last year, so let's not do it this year. Right. Uh, and you, you brought up George C. Scott. I had a friend of mine over, and he heard through the phone you say George C. Scott. He says, no, Alistair Sims, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> He's yelling across the room at me. I'm going, <laughs> shushing him. And, uh, yeah. So we have, I, I want to know, we, I do have my co-host, um, Ed Bondarek, on the other line. And then I'm going to introduce your favorite movie, and we'll That's do it great. by uh, when when I get there. We'll do it by bringing in the the opening song music to it, and then That's we can. Introduce it. Can I ask you one question before you do that? Yes. You, you, you had opened up by talking about single malts. Oh I, yes. Let's. I don't have a what, what time is it? Uh, we got plenty of time. It's only no. I mean, is it too early for the single malt? Oh no, it's too early. It's too early. Okay. It is okay. All right. I just wanted to establish we'll, we'll that beforehand. Um, yeah. Okay. It's after two. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. No. Uh, let, let, let's get uh, my co-host on, Ed Bondarek. Uh, he's calling in because, well, he's waiting to get his, his second uh, negative test in, but in care of you, he, he, he did not want to take a chance of bringing anything in. Oh. Um, me, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated and had it and you name it. So I, I think my immune system is in high gear. But, uh, hey, Ed, how you doing? I'm doing, just, I'm doing just fine, thank you. All right, yep. I didn't mean to release all your medical information, but, uh, hey, I'm <laughs> not happy. So. <laughs> Hi, Ed. Hi, Ed. Uh, yeah, I, I, as much as I would have liked to have seen Ed in, in person today, I, I thought better of it. I didn't think he'd appreciate it if uh, I had a slight sniffle in front of him and didn't have no. a test. That's hey, no problem. I appreciate it. So, before, I'm going to introduce this this uh, piece of music um, is from the year of, the, of this movie. I don't want to give the title out yet. The year of the movie is 45, 1945. And folks, when we get in this conversation, it is a hilarious, absolutely hilarious situational comedy um, that you will remember. And we uh, let's let's start out with the the opening music from our conversation today. I'm wishing that I may, I'm wishing that I might have the wish that I wish tonight. I've told my lucky star the wish that I made. And every time so far she's come to my aid It may not be today, it may not be tonight But I'm sure it will be all right And maybe by tomorrow If I wish with all my might I might have the wish I wish tonight. Now, that, that piece of music was sung beautifully by an uh, artist by the name of Dennis Morgan. He mm-hmm. is the, the lead male in, in this. Mm-hmm. And he sings it again in one of my favorite scenes later, uh, later in, the, in the movie. And the name of the movie is, of course, go ahead, Ed. You know you want to introduce it. Go ahead. Christmas in Connecticut. 
You know, and, and first of all, I have to say, I've got a place in my heart for Connecticut. I absolutely love Connecticut. I used to go to uh, North, northern Connecticut every year in a little town called Torrington. And uh, for about four years in a row, I, I went to Torrington and then would go skiing in Vermont. And uh, I'd always spend, for four years, I spent Christmas in Connecticut. And uh, love, and love the it. house I stayed at was was an old farmhouse, big, huge farmhouse with the big open fireplace. When I looked at that house, I had a look. And I said, it, it feels like that. It just had that same feeling of that same farmhouse. So absolutely beautiful farmhouse. Christmas in Connecticut. There's a scene, and, and then after I talk about this scene, I'm going to let you roll with it. But this is, I told you before, I had three scenes that just stick in my mm. mind. And um, th- where he sings this song in the movie, he's sitting behind the piano and he's playing it. And, and the, the lead uh, female in there is decorating the Christmas tree. And that was Barbara Stanwyck. Mm-hmm. And uh, beautiful, beautiful woman. She's decorating the tree and he's singing a Christmas carol before he goes into this one. Right. And she beautiful Christmas tree. They did not use fake Christmas trees in movies back then. <laughs> it looked like yeah. it was a real tree. Big, beautiful tree. She's decorating it, and, and as she's getting kind of like heartsick for... for um, Her situation. Her situation, yeah. yeah. She, she uh, uh, <laughs> drops the Christmas ball, and he stops playing, and she says, oh, continue. And he starts playing that, that song you just heard. And it's just a beautiful scene. And again, all black and white, but with all the shades and stuff, you you would think that the that pellet of black and white and shades of gray was magic because you can almost feel the color just of the whole thing. So, what made you pick Christmas in Connecticut as your one of your favorite, if not your favorite, Christmas Carol? Well, mm, good question. I'm, uh, I guess, ambiance. I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about before. There is, and an, I, I call some movies that, you know, you might have favorites. And when you think about it, you say, my God, you know, I've seen that movie 20, 30, 50 or more times. And I know people who have favorite movies that they've seen up to 100 times. Yep. What is the reason for that, one may ask. And I think that it's because these are like I call environment films. You know, and it gives, I think it belies what we expect when we go see a blockbuster movie today or something, you know, or a sci-fi or something, where we want to be on the edge of our seat all the time. We don't get to sew it up in our minds until the very end. And and I can see the, you know, the attraction to that. But this movie, and really at that time, there weren't really, you know, any any punches held. I mean, you kind of knew what was going on. You followed along with the narrative. And what you got, though, was a journey that was memorable, that was beautiful, that created an environment, an ambiance that you you later want to go back to again and again. Uh, in Christmas in Connecticut, the black and white, that scene that you mentioned, if you look closely, the window, they have this beautiful picture window mm-hmm. behind them. He's at the piano at an angle. She's on this very tall ladder because it's a really big Christmas tree. Right. In a, I think one of the largest Christmas balls I've ever seen. She drops that one. That's mm-hmm. okay. There's a fifty dollar one gone right away. Right. But, and she's she's in love with him. The the, the whole thing is is that before she, you get into that, what you know? In fact, let's skip that until until let, the, let, let me because um, that's a big thing and everyone knows it anyway. But pretty much, let but, me lead into the into this movie this way. Let me let me just start with the opening concept of the movie and folks there's gonna be spoiler alerts here all right but uh it's been around since 1945 all right so there's plenty of them out there 
So at the beginning, we we see we see um, Dennis Morgan. He's playing uh, Jefferson Jones, mm-hmm. and he's a sailor who got injured. And the first scene you see is he is fantasizing that he's on a raft, getting a gourmet meal. This man's mm-hmm. life revolves around food. All right, he loves good food. The next scene, he's in the hospital, uh-huh. and there's a cute nurse taking care of him, and his buddy's next to him, and his buddy's eating steak and pork chops every night, and he's getting hospital food and he's trying to figure out how this happens so his friend says just let the nurse think he calls it the magoo all right Right. Uh, and uh he says it's the magoo just make her think that you love her and um she'll bring in anything you want and jefferson jones says well how far do i take it he says as far as you have to (laughs) so um he's getting the food and everything else Food he shouldn't be eating, one he can't even swallow because he's not supposed to be eating yet. Um, and he took it as far as he had to. By what I mean by that is he found himself unknowingly now engaged. I mean, it went from I want a steak, so he's engaged to this nurse. And as he's getting ready to get out, he asks his friend, How do I get out? He says, You use the Magoo still. You sit there and he's saying, You know, I'm Magoo never... got you in, Magoo will get you out. Yeah, Magoo got you in, Magoo will get you out. And, and so he starts, You know, I've never been, I, I don't know what it is to live in a household. I don't know what it is to, to live in a, house, in a home. And, and I'm just really uncomfortable with this. And I don't know if I'm the right person to marry because yes. I don't know what a home is. And so the nurse writes a letter. To a, a journal or to a guy who owns a lot of different magazines and stuff. Oh, yeah, he's a big publisher. Big publisher, thank you. And uh, because she had taken care of her grand, his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. I think it was the granddaughter or his daughter when mm-hmm. she had the measles. That's right. And says, "Hey, I have this soldier. He's a hero. Um, I want to give him the home experience. I'll let you take it from there, Ed." Well, that's okay. Um, she writes to Alexander Yardley, the big publisher, mm-hmm. uh, a, a um, you know sort of like a um, housekeeping uh, magazine that was very popular, and there's a rival to it. So he sees an angle here to be able to get ahead of his competition. He, right. li- he likes this idea. Hey, having uh, Elizabeth Lane, who is Barbara Stanwyck's right. character, this journalist who you know you know works in her apartment. Kind of, think of Martha Stewart today, mm-hmm. writing this column in his magazine, uh, you know, about fabulous food, about the her life on the farm, home, her life on her farm and everything. You see it at the beginning, you know, right. where she really is. She's in, you know, a, a second tier New York apartment. Uh, the, um, the radiator is spewing out steam. You see laundry on the outside of the patio. You see the cityscape. Actually, quite beautiful yeah. <laughs> today yeah but you know it's it's not the country it's not what she's writing about basically she's fabricating everything and yardley doesn't know that so he sees the angle coming in uh from uh the um from the nurse and likes that and says you know what invite him to your farm invite jefferson jones this this, this hero sailor who's been out on a raft for weeks with his buddy uh, and gave him the last of his rations. That's why his stomach was in such bad shape. I mean, have him recover you know, and enjoy a good, homey American Christmas at your house. We're going to go to a commercial break. And not, not literally, Derek, not literally. Just, just relax. We're getting close to that. Um, Ed. Um, <laughs> Bondarenko. i got to remember. We've got oh. two Ed. Ed, do you have anything you want to add in on this? I, I'm sorry, I don't have my computer here. I can't see you wave at me. 
Yeah, I realize that. I, I knew that this would be Ed's selection because he's so in love with Connecticut. I have my son lives in Connecticut. We visit there frequently, and it's it's beautiful in the Torrington area, um, up and down the Connecticut River, and it's, it's just mm-hmm. beautiful out there. And we just haven't done it. Well, we did it in Christmas once, and it was a disaster. I won't go into that, but it's beautiful. It's just way too much snow. You can't get anywhere when it snows in Connecticut. Uh, you Unless know you what? Play. It, it is part, it's part of that ambiance you're talking about. I mean, you, a white yeah. Christmas in Connecticut? Now, oh, I, I will state, in oh. my four years in Torrington, not every Christmas was white. I, oh, no. yeah. um, but, but two of them were. <laughs> and uh, it was beautiful. Well, you know, Ed, Ed can make a. I'd like to hear his comment on this too, because like you, he's very historically oriented. And that is one of the things that's going on with Christmas in Connecticut, along with all the other Christmas movies, like The Bells of St. Mary's and all the others that were done during the 40s, during the, the carnage of the war years, mm-hmm. right? That an interest in colonial America had really taken hold among Americans by the 1920s. Prior to that, in the late years of the 19th century, you had these collections beginning to be amassed by very wealthy Americans like the Havemeyers and others, the DuPonts. Think of Mm -hmm. Wintertour and all that. And many times a member of that family would write a book about Americana, per se. After World War I, that information had gotten down to the American population, and you have an explosion of interest in things colonial, collecting Courier and Ives prints or reproductions. Um, colonial furniture. The whole birth of the American colonial look in furniture occurs at that time. So many books, photographers like Samuel Chamberlain, who specialized in the interior of what we call study houses today, 17th century American houses in Connecticut, uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, These were bought by people en masse because they wanted that that reference. There, there was a continuity established with the American past. Like so many other periods in American history, what you see in Christmas in Connecticut, what you see in so many movies from that period, is a nostalgic throwback to an America that, quite frankly, never really existed that way, but is part and parcel to if we went back 50 years before and you're looking at American Luminous paintings or the Hudson River School. It was never the current America at that time. It was always a fantasy. It wasn't just nostalgia. It was a fantasy always. Hollywood just picked it up, and guess what? We still have that gene today, and we're still trying to find out the New Year's Christmassy vernacular that we right. all can touch. Touch but and it's remember never, uh, uh, things that— uh, It's never a real reality, but you know right. what? It's a fabulous blanket for the nation to have. I, I do have callers that, please understand, I'm not ignoring you. Um, we will take your calls right after the hard break, real quick. My plan was originally to talk about two different movies, but I don't know if we're going to get time to talk about the second one. If we do, great, but uh, um, because there's so much we haven't touched on this movie yet. There are some, you, you just talked about Rockwell paintings. There's two scenes in this movie that mm-hmm. just... When you look right. at it, it, it just screams Rockwell. In the, in the movie you want to, and you will bring up after the break, I know, right. because it really it, it really should be. I, uh, even in Christmas in Connecticut, uh, I, I mentioned three of my favorite scenes. One was the Christmas tree scene mm-hmm. where she's singing. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then another one, you know, you asked Ed a question about this. So, Ed, I'm going to give you a chance to respond if we have time on this if, to, to what uh, Ed was saying. Yeah, well, I'm not quite sure what the question was, to be honest with you. All I know is that the whole movie seems to be a Courier and Ives print on mm-hmm. film. Courier and Ives, that's what I'm... That's right. Courier and Ives, Rockwell, all that's, of that, yeah. 
All right. Um, let's see. Uh, real quick, do I have a call? Time to take one call. Okay, I have time for one call. Let's take uh, Gary. Gary, your favorite Christmas movie. Hey, folks, I don't think a, a legitimate conversation about Christmas movies can go without mentioning It's a Wonderful Life. That's the you're other one we're going to try to get to. <laughs> you, you mentioned the ambiance there, Ed. Oh. Uh, you know, when he's running down the street hollering, good, Merry Christmas <laughs> yes. to the buildings, that, that, that just brings me to tears. Yep. And then when Harry shows up. Yep, hey, you know, absolutely. Got it. That, that, those are the best parts. That's the hey. music. Thanks a lot for Gary. Yes, we hey, will be hoping to talk about that movie if we have a chance to after these messages. And now, more with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering on Wham. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with another moment on sports. 65 years ago on Christmas Day, the the Detroit Red Wings gave the Olympia Stadium audience a beautiful gift by annihilating the New York Rangers 8-1. Hockey Hall of Famer Gordie Howe tallied a pair of power play goals, an even strength goal, and three assists. Howe's Hockey Hall of Fame teammates, Red Kelly, Norm Ullman, Ted Lindsay, John Busick, and Alex Del Vecchio each recorded at least one point. Lindsay and Allman lit the lamp once apiece and combined for five helpers, while Kelly, Busick, and Del Vecchio each chipped in with one assist. The Red Wings' other three goals came off the sticks of Bill Deneen, Al Arbor, and Metro Priest died during the final four and a half minutes of regulation. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And I am back, and I'm with my two co-hosts, Ed and Ed. Uh, I'll let Ed say hello first. How you doing, Ed? <laughs> just fine. Just fine. <laughs> you know, we're talking about Barbara Stanwyck in this movie, and last year Sherry and I had the opportunity to watch another Christmas movie with Barbara Stanwyck that just totally blew me away. It stars her and Fred McMurray in Remember the Night, and it also has in it Beulah Bondi from... Mm. Uh, it's a wonderful life, which was surprising, mm-hmm. and the, it's just a great movie. It's a, it's full of redemption at Christmas time, and uh, it almost seems like a Capra movie itself. But mm-hmm. I was surprised that it wasn't. You know, I, I'm glad you did that because I was wondering. Here you are changing the total subject of our show, and I was going to ask, "Who are I'm you, not. Joe?" And guess who's on the line waiting to talk to us? Joe. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Hello, brothers. How are you today? Hey, I want to thank you for inviting me to that Christmas party tomorrow night. You know, we were all worried about uh, seating at our table of maybe having too many, and, and now Ed, Ed, Ed may not be well tomorrow. Well, Ed's never well. He's always sick. I know him personally, but he may he might be physically ill. <laughs> but uh, But I want to thank you for inviting me. I always look forward to good food. 
and yeah. especially the kind I don't oh, have to pay yeah. for. Yeah, it's going to be some really good food: uh, chicken, fish, beef. You know, rolls, obviously, salad, dessert. Oh, you'll be able to stuff yourself, and uh, I'll be happy to see you and so, whoever else makes it. So, again, so I got finally. this. I got this figured I was out. Hoping to be able to announce to the Wham listeners some last-minute ticket sales to Wham listeners only, but unfortunately, we, we're blowing out the hall. We're sold out. We can't <laughs> so, fit any more in. I've gone out to lunch with you before. And uh, so when you say beef, I take it you mean uh, White Castle. And when you say fish, I think you mean fish sticks, right? Is that what? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, what's your favorite? Hey, let's talk about Christmas because I got to get back to my, to, to my co-host here uh, you know, and my guest. I'm glad you brought up Wonderful Life because I wanted to ask you all if you've seen the Tubi original. Tubi is a free streaming service, so it doesn't cost to see this. You just have to, you know, provide email to sign up. Uh, to be original called Last Chance for Christmas. And it's really good. I loved it. It's uh, a cross between a wonderful life with a Groundhog Day twist. Ah, yeah, I've I seen, I seen the... Uh, the Promo? Promos for it, but uh, I haven't seen it yet. So. I really recommend it. It's great. And sorry... A pastor, Rick, but I will fight you tooth and nail to the death. Die Hard is a Christmas film. All right. Well, I'll see you tomorrow night. Bring the gloves. <laughs> All right. All you brothers. Take care. God bless. Merry Christmas, everybody. All right. So we're talking about the movie um, Die Hard. No, Christmas in Connecticut. You almost got me to go off that. So there, one of the scenes... Let me tell you about two of my other favorite scenes in there. And, and this one is both outside scenes. The first one is when they first make it to the farm in Connecticut. Now, understand, through this all, we didn't get quite up to this point. Um, Barbara Stanwyck in this movie doesn't own a farm, but she writes about the farm she lives on and everything else. And as you said, all of a sudden, everyone is invited out to her farm for Christmas. Right. And, and through a lot of bending and twisting, because no one knows that she doesn't own this farm or she can't even cook. And she's writing this article as a cook. And uh, of course... She gets all her ideas from Felix. Yeah, Felix. Felix is a friend of hers who owns a big restaurant, and he's a fabulous cook and gets all the ideas from him. And so she's basically writing this imaginary life down as though it's hers, and everyone believes that's who she is. So in the end, to have this, there's this guy who's pursuing Barbara Stanwyck and wants to marry her. John, played by a wonderful actor, Reginald Gardner. Bryce, absolutely wonderful. He does mm -hmm. so well in this movie. There's times where you just want to smack him. That's how you know he's doing really good. Um, he says, you can use my farm in Connecticut. And it's, it's a picture of what she's been writing about. And as they come to the farm, they come in on horse-drawn sleighs. Mm -hmm. um, and it is just you see this dog running across the snow, snowy front yard and... It is just so beautiful. It is. It, it, it's, Ed said it. it, it it's like Courier and Ives. It, it's, it's like actually one of the, uh, one of the artists for Courier and Ives, Dury. Um, it's like one of his, think, think of his, um, the print he did for them, um, Home to Thanksgiving mm -hmm. from 1867, I believe, something around there. And it's a very popular one, full-size, uh, large folio um, uh, Courier and Ives. It's taken 
like right from there. And again, that from art in the 19th century up to 1945 when that movie came out, uh, it's th- there's that correlation that was, um, I think, very affirming for audiences. Now, folks, if I can't get to our second movie, which I want to talk to, Lord willing, we'll do it next Christmas. And that it's a wonderful life. But there's another scene I want to talk about in that movie, and it's another outdoor scene. And um, so we, we have this this publisher. He they he decides to invite himself over to the farm also for Christmas dinner because the doctor gave him a diet. Well, that didn't even represent food. So he wanted to get somewhere for Christmas where he could eat real food. And the and big he, man himself. He's a big by man. by S- Sidney Greenstreet. Yeah. And um, man. what's that? The fat man. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and so he invites himself over for dinner, too. And he gets over there, and it, word gets out that they have this war hero there, and they get all get invited to this dance in town. Mm-hmm. So they go on to the dance, and all of a sudden, uh, the publisher starts seeing eyes between the sailor and this woman who he... Th- believes is married to Reginald yeah yeah, to Uh Reginald to John um so (laughs) he doesn't realize that she's not married and she sees he sees them sneak out together the sailor and her sneak out and they decide just to sit together because she did not have appropriate shoes on um they couldn't walk to sit in a carriage and they get in this little carriage made Four two, mm-hmm. and they cover up in a nice fur and everything else, and they're sitting there talking, and the horse starts to move. And and, and the publisher, he's he's keeping an eye on them. He's looking through the windows, and next he, he sees him taking off, and he goes out the door, and he's following him outside. Mm-hmm. And the visual of this, it's a nighttime scene, and the visual of this with the windows and everything of the house, and then pulling away with the stars in the sky in the background, and with him following oh. alongside of them that they don't see him. And, th- right. and then he ends up sliding down a hill, and they get away, but uh, not knowing that they're getting away. And uh, it's just a beautiful scene. It's, you know where that derives from? I, no. I have a theory, and I mentioned it on the show last week. Probably from the most famous of all—it's really not Courier and Ives, because it was actually done by Nathaniel Courier's staff as a gift to him uh, upon his marriage to his new wife. It's The Road Winter. If you want to see, everybody, an excellent version of it, go to the website of the old print shop in New York City, one of the great landmarks for prints and for print collectors ever since, what, World War I era, and they're still in business, Same, at least the same family since the 1940s. And they have an incredible version of the road winter done by the staff of Nathaniel Courier around 1850. 18, 1855, something like that. And it shows the two of them in that two-person sleigh, shell-shaped, right? Mm-hmm. It, depending on who was doing the painting, the colors are a little different. The landscape behind is exactly the landscape that they show in Christmas in Connecticut going by. The leaden sky, the vista, the rolling hills, the farmhouses in the far distance, the trees kind of in the foreground. And people would have recognized that at that time that we were talking about before. Right. This taste was permeating down to the American population, and they wanted to, they wanted to integrate that, that earlier America into their lives in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. 
So I'm going I'm to do something because I, I want to touch a little bit on, on It's a Wonderful Life. So let me just take the story from here. In the end, you, you have... Wait a minute. You, Wait a second. Before we go to it's a, can we talk about one more thing on Christmas in Connecticut? Yeah, I'm going to talk about a few more things, and then we're going to shoot there. But let me just say, say my statement, and then I'm going to turn it right over to you, Ed, I promise. Um, there's a scene where all of a sudden everything starts because... There, there, there's a thought that there's a baby being kidnapped. And, folks, I'm not going to give you all the spoiler alerts. You've got to watch this movie. And the relationship between between uh, Barbara Stanwyck and her, air quotes, husband is falling apart in front of the publisher's eye. And he's getting mad and he's firing everyone. And the whole, her whole story starts to break apart. And through this whole thing, you're, you're, you know that there's no way to make any of this right. That... Uh, <laughs> There's no way. My wife walked in and, and she seen the she seen the sailor and she says, "Oh, that's that's the one who's playing the magoo uh, uh, on the nurse." And is he, now is he playing her? I said, "No, you got to watch the movie." His fiance shows up at the end in the farm, yeah. and all things break loose. And folks, I'm going to leave it there on my part. All things break loose. Um, you've got to see the movie. If you want to know how it ends, you have to watch the movie. It is. It's hilarious, and, and it's really nice, clean fun, but it's funny. It's great situational comedy. Go ahead, Ed, and then we'll jump into uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Well, I'll give the other Ed the last word on it, and then we'll jump into it. Go ahead. Well, remember, you started out saying that this, this movie really is about food. Uh, yes. You know, the whole thing of her not being able to cook. So she has been stealing recipes from this chef she knows at this restaurant who they bring up to Connecticut uh-huh. for this whole sh- charade. And that's played by S.C. Sakal. Mm-hmm. And he is just, he makes this movie. I mean, he should have top billing as, as far as I'm concerned. His, his whole persona in this movie, of course, it's similar to all his other movies, but it's just wonderful. He was in Casablanca, Ed. Remember how effective right. he was yep. there? Just a couple years before. Yeah, he he plays a, such a marvelous role. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know that I'd give him top billing, but he definitely should have been in, in well, he was in the lead credits. But uh, um, a marvelous, marvelous actor. Um, any last words on Christmas in Connecticut before we jump in? For Only a few that it's beautiful. Time? And if you haven't seen it in a few years, everybody, go and see it. It's got one of, the, I think, even though it's done not on location, it's you know on, on a soundstage. Some of the most beautiful sets, the outside that you mentioned, yep. Ed, as well as every single interior and every detail is absolutely superb. One thing I would just mention about it, it brings in a dichotomy that was in America at that time, and it's still with us today, and that is the idea of urban as opposed to rural life. And this was a theme of holiday movies, but, you know, like Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, mm-hmm. others that are of secular, you know, subjects. Um, that idea of the GIs coming back the American economy was ramping up again to accommodate them. They were moving to places like Connecticut. They were doing what was unthinkable, really, up to that time, and that is having second houses. So you had places like Connecticut, Vermont, Massachusetts, in the country. All of a sudden, they had all these what they call flatlanders showing up on their doorstep and bringing their urban lifestyle, the city slicker lifestyle, into the countryside. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, 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 it created a lot of local turmoil 
for a long time. In fact, it's still being worked out. Look, look at Manchester, Vermont, where we lived for, for, for a number of years uh, and where my grandparents lived. The changes that's been unfolding for decades in other places, what was thought to be too far from New York, it's not that far from New York and people can almost just about commute there. So I, w- I would mention one of the beauties of Christmas in Connecticut is that urban country dichotomy. Remember how it begins in the restaurant, below grade, rest- they go down right. the stairs in New York. I've been in restaurants like that and like a Czech restaurant and others in New mm-hmm. York. You go through a door, you go down the steps and you're in this wonderful place. That's where they meet. In the heart of New York City, I need a farm. Oh, you can use mine. So you've got the city. Uh, you've got the view out Elizabeth's window. And then you're in this absolutely beguilingly beautiful landscape set mm-hmm. of the house and everything in it, the beams, the fireplace. You can almost smell the, the fire, you know, in it. It's just, I, I would say, and also one other thing I would mention, Rick, very quickly, is that it's a contemporary movie. This movie came out. I think in the summer of 1945, they didn't release holiday movies necessarily at the holidays mm-hmm. in those years. World War II had, was, being, was still going on when it was filmed. It was over when it was released. So the idea of war bond drives, like downtown right. in the meeting house, uh, and the way Jefferson Jones, he's a sailor, all this spoke to people at that time who were just trying to begin to heal in their family. The men were coming home. The men and the women were coming home. Uh, so it was contemporary, and I think that's part and parcel to what we often see in, in holiday movies today, that there's a contemporary element today linking again to a tradition. Well, guess what? Christmas in Connecticut is just part of that tradition. It's something we are exploring today. They were doing it in the 19th century. They were thinking of the 1700s. They were thinking of George Washington, and before that, they were thinking of the 17th century when the Europeans came here and then you know all— you know, that controversial history starts, but that's the foundations of the country as we know. It's an ongoing process. It's never, say, real at any particular time. But that fantasy is what makes us, I think, to a great point, Americans. And our challenge today is to try to find out what is useful, what is applicable to us today from that tradition. You know, and I'm looking at the clock, so guess what, folks? We will not get to It's a Wonderful Life today, because I could not do it justice in this minute, so we're going to stick with this. But you said something that I find uh, quite quite amusing. Is, um, I don't know if you know where Torrington is, Torrington, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It's not that far from the Pennsylvania border. Mm-hmm. Now, this is important to, to my story. Um, we're in Torrington. I said, hey, let's jump over here. There's this event going on here in this city in, in Pennsylvania, and they, we don't go to Pennsylvania. I mean, why? Those are flatlanders. <laughs> <laughs> we don't go. That was kind of like Ohio, St- Ohio State and Mich- U of M type conflict going on. We don't mm-hmm. go there. Those are flatlanders, you know. Yeah. Uh, if we go there, we'd have to burn our shoes after we came back type of thing. <laughs> but, so you said flatlanders, and I just brought that story to mind. Um, that term is still that- used in Vermont today, by the way. Yep. Go ahead, Ed. Can I- I'm sorry, you know, because I can't raise my hands. I hate I to interrupt. No, go ahead. Um, so I was just, we were talking about the, the cultural changes that took place after the war and the returning soldiers. And I was watching White Christmas a couple nights Mm. ago. And, of course, that's returning soldiers, Mm -hmm. and it takes place, most of it, in Vermont, of all things. And then you're talking about all these people leaving the city and coming to Vermont, going to Connecticut, because now they can commute. They have cars you know, they have affluence and they can commute, which they couldn't do before. Right. But they actually took their politics, and I'm not going political, but they took their politics with them. 
to where you're watching White Christmas and Bing Crosby drops a line like, uh, oh, that's as rare as a Democrat in Vermont. <laughs> that's right. Hey, not so rare anymore, you know? Remember, Vermont didn't become, didn't ratify the Constitution until 1791. I think it was the last. Yeah. You know, at, I was going to say something really profound. Oh, yeah. I, I was talking to my wife. I've seen this scene and of this um, village in Lapland. Uh, that they celebrate Christmas. They have a whole Christmas village. And I said, you know, I wouldn't mind taking a Christmas vacation. Uh, but my wife pointed out this is not somewhere where she she would be able to go with her work and everything else. <laughs> Folks, if you ever get a chance to take a winter vacation, forget Florida. Go to the East Coast during Christmas time. Yeah. You will have, yes, it's cold. Yes, there's snow. And that's what you want. And, and, and the visuals are beautiful. And you can still get a, a, just in Vermont or in Connecticut or, or in Massachusetts, Boston area even. And I kind of say Boston and it kind of sticks in my throat. Um, it's, uh, but Maine, there are some beautiful areas in the East Coast to go and celebrate a Christmas vacation like you've never had before or, or, or have ever seen. It's as close as you're going to be able to ever come to some of these old Christmas movies. Oh, and yeah. it's a really, really great experience. Um, I know you've been out east at, for Christmas once or twice. Up. Oh yeah, I, I, I grew up out, out there. Yeah, and I know. Until recent years, when you know family members die and all that, you don't go back as often and stuff. But I'll tell you this for your audience: Maine is one of the states where you can go to an inn, and um, some of them, or many of them, actually will have. If it's snowy and stuff, they have sleighs, mm -hmm. so you can actually have a real sleigh ride. You, you don't find that everywhere, but in Maine. You do find inns that provide that, and it's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, some of the some of the ski resort cities in in uh, Vermont will offer stuff like that too. But you got you've got oh, to yeah. shop around. But it's something to look in for. You know, everyone wants to go to Florida in the winter, and, and I think they're really missing out. I mean, I'm not a big fan of winter, but if I'm yeah. going to enjoy winter. East Coast. You know, what, you know what you need to do? You start small with baby steps. When you're in the car, the next time when we get a really big snowfall, make believe you're actually in a sleigh. That it's actually a privilege to see the way a I drive. You feel landscape. like you're in a sleigh, sliding they, all over the place. Oh, I'm I know. Telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your Christmas plans, real quick? We have a few minutes left. What are your Christmas plans this year, Ed? Oh, going to be here. Going to be here and just. Um, enjoying it and running of course doing it with everybody else just uh, you know the shopping and that's you know still going on and just enjoying that enjoying being around people enjoying being in these environments enjoying still being in the covid state uh in the unfolding you know variants and all that but affirming you know what makes us human and and that is our interactions with others and um or to use one of Dickens's favorite words, forbearance, forbearance of others, and just to go around with, I guess, maybe a simpler view of things. And, uh, you know, the word epiphany comes from the Latin. It means epiphano, means a, a shining out. And I think it's a time where we can shine out to others, maybe not think of ourselves so much, uh, and just to shine out in every person that we come into contact with. We help them like in, a, in some way just by our reaction to them and the way that we connect with them. Ed uh, Bondarenko, my co-host. Going to Florida. Going to Florida. Taking my wife and, 
You are sick. My wife dad to Florida to see his grandkids he hasn't seen in a while. Oh, okay. Then our son that's in Connecticut is going to leave Connecticut and come visit us down there. You know, they got cockroaches the size of Volkswagens down there. I'm just telling you. (laughs) So armed. (laughs) Um, Ed Hoffman, you're going to be talking about uh, one of my favorite authors during your show. Um, I was just telling you, I have first edition, first edition, first printings of uh, biography written about um, Charles Dickens by his friend, and uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to bring it in someday and show it to you. It's, yeah, John it's, Forster. Yeah. that's right. That's yeah. a, that's the first autobiography. Uh, I'm sorry, first biography of Dickens, uh, and you have a you have a three comes, volume first edition of it, and that's that's yeah, wonderful. it's the first three volume edition printing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they did a single volume before that, but this was the first time it came out in three mm-hmm. three separate volumes. Uh, absolutely love it, and, and you almost get the idea that it is an autobiography because he was so close oh, to Dickens. Absolutely. You know? Well, I'm and, hoping I'm hoping you'll stick around for a few minutes, okay? Since I'll be on in a few minutes, and we can continue this and maybe talk a little bit. Bring up it's a wonderful life. Okay, we can do that. You accept that invitation? I, I, will. And, I will. And Ed, too. I would love to have you, too, Ed, if you can hang on. We'll see. I got a doctor's appointment at 4, so mm, we'll see. Okay. Thanks. Sure. <laughs> All right, folks, I want to tell you, um, over this last year, and since we were able to talk about the Christmas Carol and everything last year and our conversation of uh, Christmas in Connecticut, and really, do watch that. It, uh, watch it at least before Christmas, if not on Christmas. It'll help bring you into the spirit. And we've had such a rough couple years that a little bit of extra joy that you can find is well worth it. So until New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, I don't know, um, I will see you next year. Let's just put it that way. I love you all. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Or as the Greeks say, Kala Christagana, or let's celebrate Christ's birth. Have a blessed day. been listening to a moment of clarity on wham talk 1600 with your host pastor richard Dietering. be sure to tune in again next week right here on wham radio 